welcome to Practice Purchase Season 4, Episode 6. And as we roll along with this season, I want to point out a few things to you guys listening. Uh, you know, we're mid-season. It can be easy to lose track of some of these things. So I just want to point out a couple things just to remind you. First, as always and forever, this podcast is and is, is totally free. It will be totally free forever. Uh, you'll, adver- you'll notice there are no advertisements, no sponsors. I'm not pitching, I don't know, courses or anything um, in this season. And in return, all I ask is, gosh, just be a good dentist, be a good friend, forward this episode to someone you like, maybe leave a review in iTunes to let people know uh, what you think, um, you know, pass that karma forward if you would. Now, in this episode, episode six, you're going to hear a diff- the voice of a different banker, and you're going to hear me asking the same questions that I asked Morgan Stump in uh, episodes one through five. Why? Why am I doing that? Well, you know, you're going to hear some interesting things in these next five episodes. The first thing you're going to hear is for 95% of the questions that I ask, you're going to hear the same answers that Morgan gave. And that's important for two reasons. Number one, repetition is never a bad thing. It's never bad to hear something again, remind yourself what you thought you locked in your memory the first time, but maybe didn't get 100% of. Uh, but the, the second reason this is important is that the differences are really interesting between the two banks and the two bankers. And, you know, those are going to be the places where it might matter to you or could make or break whether or not you get a practice loan. So listen carefully. And gosh, if you don't hear the differences, no big deal. That's what I'm here for. You know, we've got uh, in this season, um, we've got provide in the first five episodes. And you're, gonna about, you're about to hear from uh, a banker, one of the top bankers at Bank of America. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of banks. And if you don't hear the differences between the two bankers' answers, and you're talking to, I don't know, TD Bank for Citizen Zions, Huntington, Columbia, et cetera, et cetera. It's a long list of dental lenders. I have worked with all of them. I know all the bankers. I know the banks. They know me. Um, really, that's my job. If you reach the point where you think that the differences between banks or bankers might make a difference in your deal, Shoot, just shoot me a note. I'm happy to help. Um, so we've got the tip, the top bankers of the two top banks. B of A is by a very wide margin the number one dental lender in the U.S. Uh, Provide is uh, number two. That they're not terribly far behind, but um, in terms of market share, they're still growing. Uh, and you're hearing from two guys that have both the ears of their respective CEOs and talk with individual dentists like you all day every day. So you're really getting the very top quality advice from the very best bankers at the very best banks. I hope you enjoy it. A couple things to note for episodes six through 10. Um, We did our best with sound quality and uh, there are going to be a few spots where the sound quality is spotty. You know, you get what you pay for, but I promise the content is absolutely worth it. Uh, So here we go. Episode six, Mike Pakula with Bank of America. We're talking loan basics in this episode. What are the foundational pieces for you to get a dental practice loan? Enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome to our webinar. Thank you for uh, those of you who've joined us. Um, I have Michael Pakula with Bank of America on, and uh, he is going to talk to us about Um, Man, I've got a whole list of questions. Let's see, 7, 14. I have 21 different questions for you, Michael. We've got 60 minutes to cover it, and I want to leave time at the end for questions. So those of you joining, um, you will have a chance to ask questions at the end. And um, 
but for right now, uh, this will be interview format. I'm going to play um, Larry King to Michael Pakula as the guest <laughs> and hopefully come up with some intelligent questions and uh, really try to educate as many people as are willing and able to join uh, on the process of getting a dental loan for, to buy a practice. Uh, so um, I'll, uh, I'll jump in here. Well, Michael, thank you for joining us. Welcome to, uh, th thank you for being on. We're excited to have someone from Bank of America here. And it was quite a process to be able to join. Uh, we are recording this in Q1 2022. And so folks have the context uh, behind some of the answers. Uh, but Michael Pakula is um, a longtime partner of mine. Uh, we've worked together for a number of years on, by now, certainly, yeah, we're into the hundreds of deals by now, Michael. And, um, you know, so a trusted partner and someone who's educated me a lot on the pro what happens behind the scenes with banks. Uh, so, Michael, thank you for being on and uh, say hello. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. I really appreciate it. Uh, when I do talk to your clients, they do tend to be a little bit more educated, a little bit more prepared. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about how that's important and uh, appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. So without a doubt, if you're listening to this, you will have the opportunity to uh, reach out to Michael directly. So as you're listening to this, if you hear something that's interesting, you're not sure how a situation applies to you directly, um, I will provide his email, his phone number, contact information so you can reach out directly. Uh, but Michael, one of the reasons I have you on is that Bank of America is the largest dental lender in the country, uh, which I think the US has the largest dental market in the world. So I, I think that makes you the largest uh, dental lender in the world. And I believe so. <laughs> do you, can you just give me a quick uh, scope? Uh, you know, how, I don't know if you can share this or, or do ballpark or whatever, but dental number of dental loans or amount of dental loans, like how much gets lent every year? Uh, well, I can't go into specifics on the size of the portfolio, um, but it is in the multiple, multiple billions. There are tens of thousands of dental clients. Yep. Uh, and each year we try to onboard around $2 billion, maybe a little up, between $1.75 and $2 billion worth of dental and veterinary loans each year. Yeah. And your closest competitor, I know who the number two lender is, and I know that they're still kind of in the hundreds of millions range, right? So the scope of, of comparison um, is interesting. And, and why it's interesting is I think Bank of America um, is uh, so big uh, folks kind of can sometimes cherry pick negative examples. But what I would say is there's a reason why most phone, the most phones sold in the U.S. are iPhones. There's a reason why the most groceries sold in the U.S. Uh, get sold at Walmart. Somebody somewhere is doing something right. And, and uh, Michael, you are, um, if not the, probably one of the uh, top bankers at the bank. Uh, so you're going to be a very credible resource. Wow. Um, all right. So let's talk about process basics. Um, Michael, when is the right time for a buyer of a dental practice to call you? I suppose, oh, good question. I suppose like anything, uh, the more prepared you are, the, the better, the easier the process is going to be. That's no different for these dental loans, certainly. So it's never too early, although I would say if you're a first year dental student, you may not quite know what you want yet. That may be a little early. Ideally, I would love to talk to someone maybe 12 to 15 months before they're thinking about buying. That way they know what position they need to have themselves in to, to obtain financing rather easily. And typically what happens there, Brian, is if they're out 12 to 15 months, 
before when they think they're going to buy, they'll likely buy in six to 12 months. The, the time frame will be shorter once they're more comfortable with knowing what that process is like. What are you thinking as the banker? What are you thinking the first time a buyer calls you? Oh, wow. I don't know that I've been asked that one. Um, that, that answer has certainly changed throughout the 11 years that I've been doing this. Now I'm comfortable enough with the numbers and I feel that um, most people, I don't have to educate as much on the process as I, as I typically did. Um, but what I'm thinking is a little few, fewer steps down the road. Uh, I will be the first person you talk to at the bank, but ultimately you will talk, uh, a buyer will talk to an underwriter who will make the decision. And I'm checking to see how prepared is that person to talk to the underwriter. If that call were to happen next week, which sometimes it may, if the LOI has been submitted, are they ready to do that now? And if not, how do I get them in that position as soon as possible? How are you assessing readiness? I look for the simplest things, the basic questions that I ask. Um, production. Is the buyer aware of how much production he or she is doing? Because if they're not, I understand you're, you're to be focusing on, on dentistry and that's really important. But as you take the next step into ownership, those little details are one of hundreds that you really need to have your finger on the pulse of. So I look to see, do they know their production? Do they know uh, what their income was within $10,000 last year? Do they know how much is in their bank account? How prepared are they about their own finances when they talk to me? With that in mind, how do buyers screw up early in the process? What are some of the things that buyers who don't get loans get wrong? What, what should people avoid doing? Um, well, you know, your cash on hand is really important. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about uh, more detailed numbers later on. I'll go into what, why that's important. Um, I'd say the, the, the biggest screw up that I see in the, in the early stage of the process is either not knowing your production or being able to prove it. Um, or I get a lot of times when people say to me, hey, Mike, look, the place where I'm working now, that I'm just not getting the right procedures. I'm, I'm lowest on the totem pole. I know I can do more if it was put in front of me. Well, my answer to you then is if you don't have a practice in mind yet, go find another job. Find one that can give you the production that you can show the banks because the bigger the practice you want, the more proof the bank needs to see of production. So, uh, yeah, people who are in a job that, um, you know, isn't the best for them or they're not able to take advantage of it best will go somewhere where you can. Got it. So buyers will sometimes screw up by they won't have the production. They won't have the cash. OK, I hear you. That makes sense. Um, it's 2022. We're post kind of post COVID. <laughs> who knows when we're going to be done with COVID, but we're at least through the point where banks weren't lending, right? They had stopped lending for a period of time. Um, we're through that, banks are lending, buyers are buying, sellers are selling, but what has changed about bank loans post COVID, if anything? Uh, great question. Since we're, I don't wanna, again, I don't know that we're through it, uh, but we're through uh, hopefully the, the last lockdown. Uh, two things that I've noticed uh, that have changed is one, that liquidity requirement, the cash on hand, which I'm sure you'll ask about. Um, That's my next question. Okay. Well, then I will say at Bank of America, we want to see seven to 10% of what you're requesting. Now, three months ago, it was a hard 10%. I still recommend that if you're looking for a loan for say $800,000, that you have $80,000, which is 10%, somewhere in non-retirement. Um, that's really, really important that we had a little bit of wiggle room pre-2020. It's a pretty hard number now. Um, Second, I would say quickly for the sellers, uh, and this was a sticking point for many, 
is we're now in a point where we have a trailing 12 months where most offices that they wanted to have been open the entire time. Uh, previously, we at the bank for, you know, for our knowledge and for the buyers, we want to know that that practice is rebounded from the lockdown. So we used to require a 12 month rolling uh, profit and loss statement from the seller, which quite honestly was a little bit cumbersome for some of the sellers. Uh, we no longer require that because we feel like the practices have been open um, long enough that we have a pretty good feel for if they've come back from the lockdown. Let me take each of those in turn because my next question is was about the cash. Let me come back to the rolling 12 month comment and, and flesh that out mm -hmm. just a little bit. I've written in my book, I've written other places, the rule for how much cash you need to have on hand was the lesser of 10% or $50,000. But what I hear you saying is something different. You're saying if the price tag on the practice is 80, or excuse me, 800, I need to have 80 with some wiggle room, maybe it's 70, 65-ish, depending on a few factors. I would imagine the stronger the borrower, the more wiggle room, the stronger the practice, the more wiggle room. But what I hear you saying is to be safe, might as well have 10%. To be safe, yes. I, I, I think that's smart. Yeah. This is a little... Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to add one thing, Brian. Most first-time buyers have been licensed, um, you know, one to seven years. <clears throat> if we have a buyer who's been licensed since 2001, which is 20 years, and we can see that they've been producing very well, let's say they've been making between two hundred and fifty dollars and $300,000 a year, and they're looking to buy a practice that costs $500,000 we would expect them to have more than 10%. If you've been making $280,000 for 20 years, um, we expect, so it's not to say that we wouldn't do the loan if you have $60,000, but I'll be asking a little bit more questions. Where has the money gone? Have we, have we made what we call responsible spending at the bank, which is a down payment on a home, uh, money towards your student loans, stuff like that. So that's where we have a little bit of wiggle room, but I suggest 10%. Is the inverse true? So you gave the example of someone who graduated 20 years ago. What about a, a D4 somewhere listening to this who has, they've done their best. They've tried to not take out a crap ton in student loans, but they only have $25,000 in the bank and the practice they're looking to buy is $900,000. Would you give wiggle room the other way? A little bit, but I think you still need to be at that 7% number no matter what. Um, if for that, for that person who's been out for nine to 12 months, really strong production history and showing that is going to mitigate any shortfall in cash. But I would strongly suggest um, in that situation, minimum 7%. I, that, that's a hard number for us. True or false, um, a buyer, let's, let, let me take my D4 with $25,000 in the bank, trying to buy a $900,000 practice. True or false, that buyer could go talk to a rich grandparent, uncle, brother, cousin, family member, someone, they could borrow, quote, I'm using air quotes, they could borrow the money, put it in their bank account, buy the practice, then give the money back to whoever they borrowed it from the next month, two months later, true or false? That is true. And it doesn't even have to be shady. Uh, we would be completely forthright with the underwriters. We understand, look, if someone is in that exact situation that you mentioned, Brian, $25,000, nine months out, rock star production, cash flow very strong at the practice. Okay, yeah, if the bank of mom and dad is open or a family friend, whatever it may be, and they're willing to deposit money into that account, we'll be open about that. It just lets us as the lender know, okay, heaven forbid, if we have another lockdown or something like that, uh, he or she, the borrower has something to fall back on, some kind of access to that safety net. Okay, so you gave me one of the mistakes buyers make early on in the process. Early being, uh, one of the things you talked a lot about was production history. Um, 
as folks are going through the process of buying a loan, um, do two things for me. Um, walk me through some of the basic steps, right? That, that initial phone call you said as early as 12, 14 months ahead of time, up until closing day, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you for common mistakes, but before I ask for mistakes, just give me the basic outline. What are the major steps? Uh, the, all right, so I'm, I pick up the phone, I call you. What's going to happen and what are, how many steps are there and what are they? Okay, yeah, good question. Um, well, of course, that will depend on if there is a practice in mind. So let's say it's one of, one of your clients, Brian, and they go visit a practice this weekend and on Monday, uh, maybe Sunday, they've signed the letter of intent. They love it. And on Monday, they would like to get rolling uh, with the bank, with bank financing. So I would have a discussion with uh, the borrower, kind of go over their history, get a, a brief understanding of the transaction. And, I, and that's when I'll be doing, I guess, for lack of better terms, my, my judgment or my analysis of the borrower right off the, off the beginning there. Um, so uh, after we do that, I will send out a list of information that we need. It will be about four or five things from the buyer and about four or five things from the seller. Once I obtain all of that information, my partners and I will package it together and submit it to the underwriters, which I've mentioned before. I wish I had full uh, approval authority at the bank. However, uh, they don't give that to me and I don't think they ever will. So there is the underwriter is what you would call the decision maker. And it is my job and my team uh, to present that in the absolute best light so that we get approval right off the bat. Um, so if you, if we had that conversation on Monday today, and I received all of the information, let's say Wednesday, I would submit that in probably on Friday morning. We, the analysts would then have about three or four days to crunch their numbers and look at all their Excel spreadsheets and, and geek out on their math. And then they would schedule the last part of the process from at least for the approval process with the bank which is about a 20 minute call with that underwriter. And to go back to your second question of what am I looking for? I am looking for and seeing where do I need to, coach is not the right word, but guide the buyer to do as well as they can on that underwriting call. Because it is, it is, a, it is an objective process with numbers, but as you know, um, if we get into debt service coverage, it's pretty close and there, are some, there is some subjectivity to it. So the more prepared you are, the better chance you have at approval. Let me come back to those. So let me just repeat the steps. You tell me if I've got these right. Okay. So step mm -hmm. number one, initial phone call with you. Okay. You yeah. are going to then send the buyer an application that has some information the buyer will need to gather from both themselves and the seller. So that's Correct. step two. Step three is for you, uh, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of selling this internally. You're going to package this up and you're going to send it to the underwriting team for step three. Step and, and, and part of step three, of course, is the underwriting team is going to they're going to look at it. They're going to crunch the numbers. They're going to do their spreadsheet stuff. And then step four is the underwriter is going to make a decision. And assuming things go well, they're going to send um, an approval back to you. Now, one thing you didn't mention, who gets to make the call? Does the underwriter say, all right, and the rate is three point five percent? Or is that you, Mike Bakula, saying here's the offer here, you know, it's, we're going to make it 3.4. It's going to be 3.6 or you know, like who's making the judgment call on what that offer looks like. Okay. Great, great question. Our, our rates are fairly consistent, but that would be uh, my team and I would be giving out the, the, the terms of the, of the loan. Yeah. Great, great question. So the underwriter kind of gives a thumbs up, thumbs down, and then it passes it back to you. You present the offer to the buyer and the buyer then makes a decision. Do I want to take this loan or not? Correct. Okay. Got Correct. it. 
And then we I, I said I'd ask about common mistakes. One of the mistakes you identified was a buyer either not knowing or not being prepared for one of the steps or one of the um, the phone calls one, that's going to come up in step three, right? The, the underwriter crunching the numbers. Sounds like part of the process is for the underwriter to actually get on the phone with the buyer. So the buyer is at least going to talk to two people at B of A. They're going to talk to you and they're going to talk to an underwriter. Correct. Yeah. And what does that phone call sound? I mean, is this like grilling? You know, they're going to, you know, ask very detailed questions. Is the underwriter trying to play gotcha? What, what's happening in that phone call? <laughs> that's a good, that's another good question. Uh, it's very much more conversational than it is um, an interview, which it may be referred to as, uh, which I suppose in one way or shape or form it is. They're interviewing you to see if, you know, they're willing to lend money, but it's, they're not drilling question after question after question. They'll simply go over the information that you put on your application and then ask a few questions of how you'll implement uh, yourself into the practice, your style into the practice. Uh, it's, and that part is usually only about five minutes. So the call itself is about 15 to 20 minutes. Perfect. Okay. We're going to move on to the next section about how to pick the right bank.